Open your Bibles, please, with me to the book of Acts. Oh. See, I'm, I tried to give you a clue what it's to do, right? To the book of Acts. Yeah. Yeah, right, it's the Bible. Okay? We are still in Acts 1. Yeah, good job. But here's what we have confidence in. Next week is Pentecost Sunday. So you know we're going to be in Acts 2. Right, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna finish we're gonna finish Acts one today. Wow. Okay, this is great. Yeah, it's like eleven o'clock. Woo. All right. Um, so here's what we've seen in Acts chapter one so far. We've heard Jesus talking to his disciples, and Luke has recorded what he has said for our benefit. So here's what we have heard specifically with with regard to the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus has told his disciples, "You will have what you wait for." Jesus has said, I've told you what you're waiting for. And then he said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. And then we were told that this Jesus will come again. Oh, now now you're just making it easy. Right? As we finish chapter 1 today, then, we're going to follow this band of believers to the upper room, to a place where they will meet together and wait until. Now, they waited until the day of Pentecost, but they didn't know that. We know that. We think, oh, it's almost time. We don't, they just, Jesus said, go wait. So they waited until. That's going to be really important to remember. Everybody say until. until. They waited until. And here in the upper room, as we're going to follow them up there, this is going to be a little bit different uh, morning for us as far as our study. Here in the upper room, there are some lessons for us. Not, there's not going to be today a single sentence. There's not going to be one point or one principle only. But rather, there's going to be for us a few helpings of wisdom. There's just going to be some things that we can observe because when it's a narrative, the way a narrative lays out, there's, there's not all, it's not always easy just to narrow one thought. What we often see is, a, is something happening and there's a collection of thoughts there. So there's at least three big ideas that we're going to look at today that are going to, that if you'll grab onto this, friends, I promise, if you'll lean into some of the stuff we're going to see today, it is really, really good yeah. wisdom from the word of God. Yeah. So what lessons do we learn? Well, first of all, let's, read the text. So I'm going to read it. And how are we going to read our Bibles? We're going to read them out loud and not like the back of a mayonnaise jar. Excellent. Okay. Okay. You know how you read the back of a mayonnaise jar, right? Why do people read the Bible like that? Living Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, outlast me, here before me, he'll be here after me, never, never perish. Heaven and earth passed away, but this is going to stick around. I'm going to read it like it's a mayonnaise jar. All right, verse 12, ready? Then they returned to Jerusalem from, oh, I, by the way, I might interrupt myself just a couple of times. And because there's some things in my notes that I just want to, you might, I'll just kind of give you a little bit of a, you know, a parenthetical update as we go. Is that all right? Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Time out. What's the big deal with that? There's, you might look in your Bible, Leviticus, you might think, hey, I don't see anything about a Sabbath day's journey. That's right. Not in the Bible. It's a, it was rabbinical law. It was a, they, they established a certain time, a certain space that you could walk without breaking the Sabbath. 
And uh, so all, that's, all that is to tell us that they weren't very far away. Okay, verse 13. When they entered the city, they went upstairs to a room where they were staying. That is Peter. Heads up, this is going to be fun. Let's pay attention. That's Peter, John, James, Dav, <laughs> Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, you watch that chosen episode, okay? Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these were continually devoting themselves with one mind to prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. A group of about 120 people were there. 120, why is that significant? Sounds a lot like 12, multiples of 12. That's exactly right. That's a significant number on purpose. Luke's wanting to give a hint to the reader. Okay? And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Stop! It's a big deal right there. The scripture had to be foretold that the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of David. Luke, he doesn't do it on purpose necessarily. He's not trying to give us this, but, but what we have here is, is, is more textual evidence of the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture. Why that's important is because some folks, liberal theologians or whatever, will say, oh, they invented the... That's an invention uh, that was uh, in the year 300, 400, 500, 800. They said, oh, no, it's inspired, like it's retroactive. The doctrine or the belief that Scripture is breathed out by the mouth of God is not, is not a retroactive doctrine. It's present right in the mouth of Peter in the upper room. He, see, he didn't just say, you know, it says in Psalms. He didn't just quote the Bible. He quotes the Holy Ghost. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke through David. And you know what? The Holy Spirit is still speaking. I'm not saying that it's canonical. We're going to add to the Bible, but he still has got stuff to say. And it's always encouraging. It's always going to direct us to Christ. It's always going to get us more to walk us in liberty and in righteousness and in good works. None of that's in the notes. Okay. Here we go. Thanks. Thanks, Judy. But it was good. Appreciate that. All right. The scripture, Holy Spirit concerning... Became, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was counted among us. That's important, 17. He was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Peter is pointing out there was, a, there was something significant about Judas. I know we, don't, we all don't like that guy, no, Judas. But Jesus chose him. And, he had, and, he, and it was an appointment. We'll come back. Verse 18, now as parenthetical statement, Luke wants to fill us in what happened to Judas. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out. <laughs> you got to read it like it sounds, okay? And it became known to all the residents of Jerusalem. As a result, that field was called in their own language, the field of blood. For it was written in the book of Psalms, may his residence be desolate. May, his, may there be none living in it. And may another take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that the men, that of the men who have accompanied us all the time. Go ahead and say that out loud. All the time. I'm going to camp on that because we'll come back to it. 
all the time. How much is all the time? How long? There is no replacement for time. There's no replacement for showing up. I'll get back to that. All the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, all the stuff that Jesus was doing, beginning with the baptism of John, that means when John baptized him, until the day he was taken up from us, the ascension, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. 23 is funny because we got... Oh, they put forward Joseph, also called Barsabbas. Well, he's got not just one name, but two, but also a third name. He's got his given name, his nickname, and his, and his Greek name. This guy must be important, right? He's clearly the guy. And Matthias, whoever that is. And they prayed, and they said, Lo, you, Lord, you know the hearts of all people. Show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas has turned aside to go to his own place. Not a very good place. And they drew lots for them. Drew lots, yeah, drew lots, or they, or what's probably more likely is they put, like what that means is they put a couple of stones in a jar with people's name on it and shook the jar until somebody's name fell out. And uh, because they still practiced at this time, they still practiced an Old Testament pattern of just basically saying, well, let's, 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 throw, let's leave this totally in the hands of providence. Let's throw money in the air and whatever, whatever God wants, he keeps. <laughs> providence. They, but and this is what's what's cool or interesting or key to note is this is they, they, this is still an Old Testament practice or a first covenant practice and it's never repeated again after Pentecost because as of yet they do not have the direct aid and influence of the promise of the Spirit to govern and guide. Okay, so so and the lot and they drew lots and the lot fell to Matthias. What? And he was added to the eleven apostles. Whoa. All right, so what lessons do we learn from that other than the cool stuff that we've heard already? Here's what, here's what I, I think we should learn. First of all, what were they doing? Saturday night didn't let me finish. They answered for me. What were they doing? These all were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. It's important that we hear, where we really lean in and hear what Luke is telling us. This is more than saying a few prayers. It is more than praying before a meal. It is more than an invocation before a ceremony. And now for the invocation. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Okay? It is more than the general practice or attitude of prayer most of the time. This is, we're in the, ascension of, uh, the season of ascension and prayer time, and so there's a little bit more uh, you know, activity coming and going. And, and I, I, I kind of caught myself just reflecting the even, what day is this? I don't know, Friday, I guess it was Friday. And uh, I got up Friday morning and, and came here early and, 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 and had time of prayer, and then had Friday and then came back, and, and I thought, I got to get in the car. I got to get in the car. I got to drive back there. I got another couple of hours in prayer tonight. And, uh, and I thought, well, that's great. And, I just, and, I, and the, the thought kind of crossed me. It's like, man, I'm kind of, 
man, jeez, a lot of praying. You know, kind of, it's like I'm, it's like I got to have, and then I, I kind of said out loud, Lord, I kind of have to organize my whole day around prayer. I w- and I would only do that if it were really important. What we see, the first thing that we see, the first example that we see of the early church is a people who organized their lives, their schedules around prayer. Everything else was moved or adjusted so that they could pray together. Now, Luke has told us in the Gospel of Luke about the prayer life of Jesus, and he will tell us in the book of Acts about the prayer life of the church. And let me just try to say this now, and we will see it unfold, that like the book of Luke, the book of Acts is really punctuated by prayer events. Everything that happens, the the juncture, the off-ramp or the on-ramp is prayer. Everything's significant. Prayer is how the church prepared themselves for what would happen. Prayer is how they responded to what did happen. Prayer is how they practiced devotion. And here's what I really hope that we can feel. Not just say amen to, but feel deeply. There is no bridge of connection to the health or vitality or power or effectiveness or holiness or joy of the early church that is not paved with their same devotion to prayer. If we read this text and we say, golly, I sure wish we were like all of that. We, there is no bridge to there that isn't paved with the same, the same devotion to prayer. We mustn't, I, I, I don't think anybody, well, few of us would say on our, in our frontal lobe on purpose, well, we don't need to pray as much as they did. I mean, we have, you know, smartphones. <laughs> we have more resources than they. The opposite is true. They were closer to the events of Christ's life and resurrection. They were closer culturally in the in the immediacy of Jerusalem to a to an uh, environment and a and a and a worldview that was friendly to their message. They were actually strategically better off than we, and they still devoted themselves to prayer. One more. One more thing about this. When were they doing this? When were they devoting themselves to prayer? In Acts 1, prayer is what the church was doing between promise and possession. Between the promise, between Jesus' promise of you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now, between that promise and the day of Pentecost, when that promise became their possession, they, they prayed. They prayed together. They waited in prayer together. What do you do? What do you do between promise and possession? 
What should we do between promise and possession? You wait in prayer. You wait in prayer with others who share that same hope. You you get shoulder to shoulder with people who either share your hope because you both hope in the same thing or they'll get next to you and say, if you're hoping for it, I'll partner with you. I'll stand shoulder to shoulder with you and I'll never stop hoping. I'll wait with you in prayer. We're in this together until... I look around the room and I know people, I see people in my life that have stood shoulder to shoulder with me for 30 years or for 22 years and they say, I'm not leaving this place until... Because this is what we do. You do that. You wait between promise and possession. You wait with others who share your hope. What promises are you waiting for? How should you wait? And how long should we wait? Until. More wisdom. Who was there together waiting in prayer? Who was it? Who was there? Well, 120 or so. Again, that's important. We'll talk about that in a minute. But prophetically, eschatologically, there's this the idea of 12, this, this, this idea of a, of a new covenant coming. It's all, it's, all, it's all very exciting. Who else is there? The 11 remaining apostles. Yes, and as I read the Bible today, I read 12 names because I always include me. <laughs> but the 11 remaining apostles and Mama Mary... And Luke's reference to the women. He's already told us who they are. These are women who had been a part of their, their traveling and ministry and support. But then, who else is there? That's right. Jesus' brothers. Did you just say, say what? Oh, you're helping me out. You get, what? It would have been better to do that louder. Yeah. Jesus' brothers. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Okay. Yeah. That's what, that's what I was going for. Okay. If we remember, Jesus' brothers did not respond well to him during the season of his first advent. There's no record of Jesus' brothers ever following him, ever supporting him. We don't, now I'm not, I don't want to make an argument from silence here, but there's not even a record of them really liking him. Not that they didn't. I'm just saying it. There's no no one celebrated it. They never came to his birthday party. That be it'd be Christmas anyway. <laughs> at one point, at one point in John's Gospel, we hear one of his brothers say to Jesus something like this: "You should go do miracles in Jerusalem if you want to be famous." And that's and he was the older brother. I mean, Jesus was. But then, but then, but now, something's changed. On the other side of the cross and the resurrection, they are now on Team Jesus. Together with Mama Mary and Peter and John and James it is fascinating what happens to people when, they, when the way that they see Jesus changes. 
People can have certain kind, they can have all, all kinds of various dispositions toward Christ and Christianity. Whether it's like, you know, tolerable or acceptable or totally opposed to it. But if they can, by the Holy Spirit, if they can get a good, accurate, clear view of Jesus, if they can see, once people get a good look at the bloody cross and an empty tomb, the way that they see Jesus changes the way that they respond to him and to those who follow him. If you will get a clear, if you will get the right view of Jesus, then maybe the people that you once had nothing in common with, the people that you maybe didn't like or that you resented or that you suspected, you may find yourself huddled with them in prayer, waiting for the fulfillment of promise, waiting together until. When we get the same view of Jesus, we really are on the same team. One more, one more, one more question. Who was there? 120, 11 brothers. And then, and then what's the, what's the deal with Matthias? What's the deal? Now, this story of Matthias is one that's often overlooked. Sometimes it is treated with derision. I've heard more than one preacher say this. More than one, Peter, because you read it. It says, at, those, at that time, Peter stood up among the brethren. Uh, more than one preacher has said, Peter stood up when he, when he should have shut up. <laughs> Why did they say that? They, meaning, they'll, they'll say something like this, and it's, some, it's in some commentaries and other places. They'll say, we've never heard of this Matthias guy. We've never heard of him before now, and he's never mentioned again. Therefore, somehow, or rather clearly, remember, if you use the word clearly, you've already won the argument. <laughs> All you have to do is say clearly, and then clearly you're right. So clearly, we learned that in seminary. Uh, so clearly, this was some kind of unnecessary or possibly incorrect move by Peter. Clearly. But that isn't so. Everything we just said is wrong. First of all, Jesus called 12 apostles. Luke chapter 6, he goes up to a mountain, prays all night by himself to God. Comes down from the mountain, and of all that were following him, he calls 12 to be with him that he might send them out. Peter says that these, he recognized that these 12 were called to a ministry and to an apostleship, and they were, they were to be witnesses. We even hear Jesus tell explain to his 12 that they are going to be key that they are going to be they are key representative figures in an, in a prophetic and an eschatological sense in the and he said in the in the kingdom or the coming of the spirit that like the 12 sons of Jacob like the 12 tribes of Israel that receive a covenant these 12 would receive and bear witness to and communicate a new covenant. But what Paul calls a covenant of the Spirit. 
And so there had to be 12 for Pentecost, for them, to, for them to be the witnesses, for them to be the recipients and the voices, the foundation, if you will, of this covenant of the Spirit. But Judas abandoned his place. There needed to be another witness. Prophetically, eschatologically, had to be another witness. When we talk about a foundation, consider what Paul says, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. Listen to how he talks about this, this covenant and how it, how it came to us and it's, how it's built. For through him, we both, Jews and Gentiles, thank God, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles. And prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, we're a building, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So there needed to be another witness for the apostolic foundation, and Matthias is chosen. And then every time after that, every time, you say, well, he's never mentioned again, you're wrong. Every time after that, when Luke, and he'll say it, when he mentions the 12, that's Matthias. When Luke says, and the apostles, that's Matthias. He's, he's not there by name or by fame, but he's there by presence and faithfulness as we will see he always has been. Why was he chosen? What was the criteria? This is really important for us doctrinally. If he had, he had, Matt, Matthias is going to be a witness, but he had to be a disciple. He said, we need, to, we, need to, we need to find someone who is with us all the time. Remember that we said that? Let's say it again. All the time. Beginning, he said, and he, had to be, and he had to be a witness of these three things. He had to be a witness of Jesus' baptism and his ascension and his resurrection. Friends, those are the fundamental confessions of our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the anointed one. He is the one anointed by the Holy Spirit. He is the Christ. And he is the risen one. And he is the exalted one. And we said we got to find somebody who can, who can bear that testimony. And Matthias had to have been present during the other time. How many would have liked to have been present at the baptism? Ooh, ooh. How many would like to have seen the resurrected Christ? How many like to watch him at the ascension? Everybody does. But they needed someone who was not just there for the spectacular moments, but the mundane. And Matthias was there. Just help me out. Say he was there. They needed a witness, but they had to find a disciple. So they looked for someone who was already part of the story, not by name or by fame, but by presence and faithfulness. And these people, these kind of people are the rocks. They are the brick. They are the mortar. They are the stuff of the church. They needed to find a witness from someone who had just been there. 
someone who was there on the dusty trails, someone there on all the journeys crisscrossing the countryside, someone there who, when it was time to pass out the fish and chips, someone who had ministered to the scores and the scores of the sick and the afflicted. He needed to find someone who was always greeting at the doors. You need to find someone who is helping kids color pictures of their Bible stories. They needed to find someone who, was, who would sweep in the cafe. You need to find someone who would help serve communion or pray with the intercessors. You need to find someone who would wash dishes in the kitchen or just click through the PowerPoint slides while Dav kept saying, no, go back, go forward, go back, go forward. They needed to find someone who, would sh- who had showed up over and over again and again. And Matthias had just always been there. He was a disciple of Jesus. No one celebrated him. And he never advertised himself. He didn't have a button that said vote for Matthias. He wasn't walking around telling everybody how cool or how much he had been doing. But he was there. He was there and heaven noticed. The whole time, I bet the whole time that Matthias was just glad to be on team Jesus. But all the while, heaven knew who he was and what was planned for him. And in that way, Matthias is any of us. For any that wonder if what you do matters or if you assume nobody notices or even if you don't care if anybody notices, the Lord sees you and he sees your hearts. You, I don't know how I could say this with more force. You are the brick and the mortar. You are the stuff of the church. You who just keep showing up, we couldn't be the church without you. You just show up again and again and again. All the time. There's no replacement for that. There is no replacement for all the time kind of people. They're the stuff. Those are the disciples. We need witnesses. We need testimony. We need people to bear witness of who Jesus is. But the only place to find a witness is among disciples. Lessons from the upper room. Three things. We must devote ourselves to prayer. Together. Until... Secondly, when we all share the same view of Jesus, then we're all on the same team. And thirdly, we must be witnesses. We need to be witnesses, but to do so, only disciples.
can be witnesses. He called the 12. He said, Luke says, that they might be with him. And then he would send them out. So as we respond to these, this passage this morning, first of all, do you want to be a witness? Do you want, do you want to bear witness to the name of Jesus? If you want to be a witness, be a disciple. We could say, if you want to be used of God, serve others. If you want to be used of God, show up over and over. And don't give a second thought to who notices. Disciples are witnesses. Second question I have is this. What's your view of Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know him more than a philosopher or an historical figure? Do you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, and that he willingly gave his life and he was crucified by the hands of sinful men on behalf of all sinful people. He died for our sins and he was buried, but on the third day he rose again. There is an empty tomb and he ascended by the eyes of many with a promise that he will return. Do you know Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? Have you been baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? If you you do, there's a promise. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The third question I have for you today is this. Can I ask you to stand together? Is there anybody here today that is between promise and possession? Is there anybody here today that's right in the middle of something that you know that God has promised you from His Word? There's a promise that you're clinging to and you are in between promise and possession. Anybody here waiting on the promise of God? At Heritage... Mama Glow prayed Friday night. She prayed, Lord, there are people in this house that are are waiting on you for the promise. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your household. They are believing God for the salvation, the full redemption of their families. We're believing God to save our families and our kids. We're believing God that that, that, that for a move of righteousness in our cities. We're believing God for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for a great awakening. And in Heritage, we have named it. We are looking for 10,000 people to be born again. Some folks are just looking for help for the promise of provision, the promise of healing, the promise of help. Every single promise 
in the scripture is yes in Jesus. Every single one. Is there anybody here that's between promise and possession? Why don't you just lift up a hand right where you are? Lift up a hand right where you are. Hold it up just for a second. I'm between promise and possession. If you're next to somebody, especially if you came with them or your family or close friends, maybe maybe ask if they'll, if you, if they'll take your hand. And if, and if uh, you're just next to somebody or around somebody, just maybe place a hand on their shoulder. Basically this, we want people to know they're not waiting alone. We are waiting together in shared hope until... praying together until Lord we are calling for your promises to prevail in our lives, in our hearts, in our families. We are believing you Lord for breakthrough for blessing, for provision for salvation for redemption, for healing we are looking for you Lord and we wait together until Because when you walk in the room, everything changes. bless you. Have a fantastic Sunday. There's still more refreshments in the cafe if you need them. If you'd like someone to pray with you, pray for you. Anoint you with oil. We'll hang back and pray with you. God bless you. Have a great day.